close your eyes and welcome to the world of darkness. Close your eyes and stumble through a story that in the cold light of day you could probably walk quite easily through. Close your eyes this morning and see through a different lens. Then open your eyes and see what you haven't been seeing all along. This morning as we come to John chapter 9, what I want you to do is engage in a little bit of imagining this morning. We're going to keep this really simple. We're going to keep really close to the story. We're going to walk through it. But what I want you to do is to close your eyes. Now, I realize this could be quite a worrying prospect on a Sunday morning because, well, if I close my eyes for more than 10 minutes, I'm normally asleep. So don't worry if you drift off, as Podrick would say, a good friend of mine has a poem about his mum going to a prayer meeting and she falls asleep and she says, no son, that's not a sleep, that's a holy rest. So feel free to have a holy rest. Don't feel guilty if you do drift off. But what am I inviting you to do this morning is to close your eyes, to enter this man's world of utter darkness, to enter into a world where he had an inability to see, and just walk with him through the story. So let's close our eyes. I was blind from birth, and for me, It was a terrifying thing. And for my parents, it was shameful. Growing up, I remember as a small child being terrified of going to bed at night. I would hear things, or I would sense that there was something or someone in my room, and I was unable to see it. I was afraid. Growing up, Growing up, I felt ostracized from the other kids. I could hear them playing outside. I could hear them having a good time. I could hear them enjoying themselves. But usually, I didn't get to play with them. My parents were afraid that I might wander off and be lost. My mother was afraid that maybe some mean-spirited kid would harm me. A lot of the children would often poke fun at me. They would mock me, they would insult me, they would taunt me. When I was young, perhaps some of the boys would walk up and hit me and then run, knowing that I couldn't defend myself. And the worst part of it was, I knew that my mother and father loved and feared God. But people had this sort of false notion that they must be wicked people and that God must be punishing them for some sin that they had not confessed. And this is why I was born blind. As I grew up, I came to the conclusion that I would never marry, that I'd never be a husband, that I'd never be a father, that I'd never have a career that I'd never live the kind of normal life that all the young boys desired. And as was customary, as I approached age 13, all the other boys were talking about their careers and what they were going to do to provide for themselves. 
It was customary in that day for all young men, once they approached 13 years of age, to become financially independent and responsible. And I was ashamed that I was unable to pursue a career and pay my own way and take care of my own responsibilities. So I decided that even though it would be extremely difficult, I would, in fact, take a career and try to pay my own way through life. And the only thing that I could find that would provide sufficient income was begging. It was disgraceful. It was humiliating. But I took that job because I didn't want to be a burden to my father for all of my days. I felt as though I'd been a burden for long enough. So I began begging. At first, it was very shameful. As I got to know some of the other beggars, I came to find that some of them weren't even necessarily in need. They could work, and that they were pretending that they were legitimate, in legitimate need to prey upon people's compassion. It made me very angry to see that because they had their health. And if I had their health, I would be happy to work. Day after day, people would walk by. Some would mock, some would jeer, some would make fun of me. The younger ones were always the cruelest. I did find over time, though, that the best place to beg was near the temple, and the best day to beg was on the Sabbath. Because as people were going into and departing from worshiping God, they tended to be at their most compassionate point. And people love to give in public ways so that they can be seen. So that everyone who is traveling with them thinks that they're very holy and righteous. And so I began begging, particularly on the Sabbath and particularly near the temple. It was customary that teachers, as they would go back and forth from the temple, would have around them large numbers of students. You could always tell because the students were continually asking questions of their instructors, seeking answers. And on more than one occasion, I had been the topic of conversation. One of the popular questions was always why God had made me this way. It was humiliating because as I lay there in the dust of the earth, blind, people would stop to talk about me, but not talk to me. They would ask questions of their teachers. Their teachers who didn't know me. Their teachers would speculate and wander off into theological inquiry as to why God would have let this happen to me. I remember one particular day where a teacher was coming by with his students. I could hear them. The students were, as usual, asking a great number of questions to their instructor, and as usual, I became the topic of conversation. They stopped right in front of me and began asking questions as to why I was blind. A student piped up and said something that angered me deeply. 
He left only two options for the reason that I was in my predicament. He asked his instructor, is this man blind because of his sin or the sin of his parents? I was so angry because I had heard this for so long. He was assuming that I was so wicked that I was born blind or that my parents were so wicked that, when my, that it was a response, my blindness was a response to something they had done. Yet, deep inside, I wanted with all my heart to blurt out and tell him that indeed, some people suffer because of their sin, and some people suffer because of their parents' sin, and some people because of Adam's sin, but some people's sin is not the reason for their suffering. Some people suffer just because, and we don't know why. I could still remember that day as they asked that question, a moment from my childhood when my mother read to me from the book of Job. And the story is told that Job was a righteous man who loved God and feared God. He recognized he wasn't perfect, But when Eve suffered, it wasn't because of his sin. There was something else going on that people didn't see. But his friends, his friends would continually come to him and accuse him of being wicked and sinful and suffering because of his own consequence. And I knew, I knew that my situation was like Job's, that I loved God and that my parents loved God, and that there was something more than just sin that had caused this situation. I wanted to tell the young student, but I knew it wouldn't matter. I just wanted them to leave and to leave me alone. And so I waited for the teacher to answer the question. I wasn't certain whether he would say it was because of my sin or my parents. Either way, I knew I would be angry. And then the teacher said something that struck me. He said something that I had always felt but never heard taught by any of the teachers of the law. With great compassion, he said, this man is blind, not because of his sin, or his parents' sin, which was a tremendous statement to me because he said, this man is the way he is because this is how God wants him to be and how God has permitted him to be and that this is a way of showing his power and his glory. And this teacher, unlike the others, gave me tremendous hope. This was the first time I'd ever heard a teacher leave open the possibility that God was good and that this was in God's will and somehow God was going to use this for something beautiful. Then, then I could just sense the teacher kneeling down in front of me and I could hear him spit in the ground and I could hear his hands moving in the dust And it reminded me of that moment in Genesis where God created man out of the dust of the earth. And then he took that mud. 
and he placed his hands over my eyes. At first, I was startled. It was unexpected. I wasn't anticipating that he would touch me, but he did. And then he gave me an instruction. He told me to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, and he did it with such authority that I just did what he told me to do. So I found my way to the pool, and I bent over, and I cupped my hands in the water, and I raised it to my eyes to wash the mud out of my eyes, and I was stunned. I wasn't exactly sure what had happened, but all of a sudden I felt this excruciating pain. Instead of darkness, everything was light. It was overwhelming. I didn't know how to respond. It was sort of shocking, but at the same time it was hopeful. Perhaps I was healed. Perhaps I could see for the first time, but never having seen, never having seen light and shape and color, I was completely overwhelmed and stunned. Completely overwhelmed and stunned. Open your eyes and continue in this man's story. It was amazing because throughout the course of my life, I had had this opportunity to smell things, but I'd never seen them. I'd had the opportunity to touch things, but I'd never seen them. And then all of a sudden, I was able to connect all of the signs and all of the smells and all of the senses with shape and with movement and with color and with shadow and with light and dark. It was overwhelming. I had never experienced that. And I stood there. And I stood there for how long, I do not know, just sort of taking it all in. And I assumed that I had been healed. And I was hoping that it was going to last and that, that it would not go away. People could, walking by could obviously see that I was in some sort of amazement, stunned. Some people began to ask if I was okay, what was going on, what was happening. Other people recognized me as the beggar by the side of the road that they had passed on so many occasions over the years. Some of them had likely given me money. Some people stopped and they asked, are you not the man that we give the money to who was supposedly blind. What has happened? So I told them my story, that a man called Jesus came, and that he placed his hands on my eyes, and that he sent me to a pool, and when I did, I was healed. Miraculously, I could see. And some of them began to argue and debate. Some of them thought that maybe God had indeed performed a miracle, while others thought that perhaps I was lying or that I just resembled the man whom had previously been begging. But in a moment, in an instance, my world went from darkness 
into light. This morning, as we have journeyed through John chapter 9, what we encounter is a fascinating story, but in one sense, a story that I would like to suggest is a pivotal story for John. Because throughout the Gospel of John, from the beginning to the end, it is no coincidence that over and over and over again, John uses the verb to see. Over and over. If you were to go home and read the gospel in its entirety, you would be shocked at the number of times that the verb to see is used. And if this verb is being used time and time again, and over and over again, I'm sort of left asking the question, well, what is it about to see that John wants the original hearers and today's readers to take out of his gospel. Could it be that John is asking us not to see, but rather to ask the question of us, what are we not seeing? John wants the original hearers and us today to see something different in Jesus that will cause us to live our lives differently, or maybe even to live our lives a little bit more as Jesus lived. You see, in the story that we have this morning, a blind man came to see. But if you were to read the rest of the passage, you'll discover that the folk that should have seen and could have seen the significance of what, who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing did not. Something maybe that Steve will pick up on next week as we continue through this chapter. Those who could see and should have seen, those who had long been expecting Jesus to arrive in their midst, can't see him when he gets there. Yet, it is this man who has never seen in his entire life that catches a glimpse of the reality and the essence of who God is and what he's doing in the universe. Moving people and places and countries from darkness into light. Remember the repetition that we've had of, on light as we've journeyed through this gospel. In the very first chapter, in the beginning, there was the word and the word was with God and the light shone in the darkness. This morning, we encounter a man who that very light became a reality for as his sight was restored. But this morning, in the few minutes that we have left, what I want to do is ask, get us to ask a question of ourselves. Namely, what am I not seeing? Because on the one hand, this chapter, chapter 9 in John, is all about faith, but it's also about our ability to see Jesus in a new way of living that allows us to live with greater love and compassion. Mark Twain, the novelist, put it best when he said, kindness is the language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. And a Roman Stoic philosopher Seneca has said that wherever there is a human being, there is an opportunity for kindness. Yet, as we come to John's gospel, what we see is that Jesus is love and kindness in the flesh. Jesus wanted the people of his day 
And I believe the people of our day to stop and think. Jesus wanted people to consider what we say and how we say it. He wanted people to consider what we do and how we do it. And most importantly, time and time again, we see as we journey with Jesus through this gospel and the gospels in their entirety, that Jesus was always busy caring for others, especially for those in need, whatever the circumstance. So as we come to this story this morning, maybe the greater miracle isn't that Jesus heals a man that is blind, but that Jesus cared. That Jesus saw the need and acted. That Jesus saw the need in one who could not see and responded. Maybe if you're anything like me, you get a little bit preoccupied in life. And sometimes we tend to think of ourselves more than we think of others. Even those of us who work hard at caring for others... Sometimes, often, we do a better job of caring for ourselves. Not always, but often, we can be selfish. This morning, as you have had that experience of having your eyes closed and then opened them to the reality of life around you and the brightness and the vitality of it, why not also take a moment to think of the people who pass your path on a daily basis? The people you meet, whether at work, at school, at home, maybe in the local area in which you live, maybe when you're wandering around Tesco's, though other supermarkets are available, in the hospital, in the library, at church, wherever. Think about the people you pass on a daily basis and ponder the question, what am I not seeing? Or maybe ask the question, who am I not seeing? Endless faces, day after day, yet endless need also. What am I not seeing? And who am I not seeing? And what can I do to make a difference in someone's life? And in making that difference, what's it going to cost me? What am I going to have to do? What can I do rather than just throwing spare change into a box? Endless faces, endless need. Daunting, challenging, overbearing. Mother Teresa once said, if you can't feed a hundred people, then just feed one. What can we do for others? Who can we see that we're not seeing already? What issue, concern, or need do we need to address both as individuals, but as a body of believers, and as Christ's hands and feet in the world? Who can we make a difference for? What can we make a difference for? Who can we move from darkness into light? But yet again, as we come to the end of that story, we see time and time again Jesus challenging the conceptions of judgmentalism. 
because for the religious in this story, there were only two options. Either this man had sinned and that was why he was blind or his parents had. But Jesus saw the person. Jesus didn't see the issue. He didn't just see a face, but he's seen a person struggling, a person begging, a person longing to be changed. Help us this morning as we go from here back out into the world that we live in to not see issues, to not see just faces, but to gaze at people in their full humanity with humility and see their need. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, when we close our eyes, we can see it. All kinds of people in the world. We can feel it, touch it, see it. May your light shine in this darkness. May a world that lives in twilight someday see a blazing sun. May we see the light that only you can shine upon us. May we be givers of light in a dark world. And may we never shade our own darkness from your light. May your light shine in this darkness. Amen.